Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Reducing capital gains tax. How do we do that? Well, I think first we need to understand what capital gains tax is and we'll get into that. But if you really want to reduce your tax, this is what you do, John. Are you listening? listening. You ready to do this? Awesome. What you need to do, John, come close, come close. I'm going to tell you the secret to minimize your tax, right? Set up a multinational company and put the head office in Dublin or somewhere. Done. Tax avoidance. Well, it's not tax avoidance, but hey, we're going to talk about capital gains tax today in the podcast and ways that you can minimise your capital gains tax. And we'll get into a bit of discussion around that. But we can't do today's episode without Sharesies. So thank you to Sharesies for bringing this episode to you. New monthly pricing plans have just launched on the Sharesies app and they're suited to you no matter how much you invest. You can pay as you go or set up a five, 10 or $20 monthly plan. Each plan includes coverage for buy and sell orders, auto-invest orders, roundups, and more. Check out the monthly fees calculator on the Sharesies website to figure out which pricing option might be best for you. And you can get $10 added to your account ready to invest when you sign up to the Sharesies app using the exclusive promo code MMM. All investing involves risk, T's and C's and fees apply. Thank you so much to Sharesies. And everyone, check that out. It's a really good calculator, that one could actually save some money. All right. My name's Glenn James. You are joined by John Pigeon from the My Millennial Property Podcast. Let's get into it today. John, capital gains tax. What has your history been with such a tax? Yeah, well... Glenn, I think it's a positive outcome if we're having to pay capital gains tax because it means we've made a profit. Right. If we had the choice of paying it or not, generally speaking, most Australians would probably say, yep, I'm I'm okay not to pay it. And and obviously on our principal place of residence at the minute, it's uh, exempt, so we don't have to pay it when we sell that. So that's a bonus. But yeah, essentially, it forms part of our uh, investing strategy, especially in the property space. Um, but but obviously any gain that we make on any asset that we sell, property, shares, business, et cetera, we will pay some form of capital gains tax if it's an income-producing asset. So, yeah, conceptually it's a good thing and we just factor it into our cost of doing business when we're looking to sell the asset is my high-level thoughts on it. Yeah, and my kind of view on capital gains tax is – it's there, it's systemic. You really have limited ways to get around it. I'm like you, John, I don't mind paying tax if I've made money. Some people, you know, they don't want to work extra overtime because they've got to pay more tax. Well, we've got to remove that whole thing from our life that when we think that, oh, I can't do this because I'll pay tax. No, just build your life, build your wealth, earn money. The taxes will sort themselves out 
Now, there is legitimate tax planning involved. And usually when we do tax planning, there might be estate planning involved, whether it is property, whether it is shares, whether it is buying or starting other businesses. So we just have to be conscious of the exit or starting with the end in mind. But if we don't have the exact end in mind, how do we try future-proof as much as possible? So what we're going to do, we'll just share a practical example of how capital gains tax works for those who might be new to this or those who need a refresher. But effectively, in Australia, there are two methods. There's the discount method and the index method. For the purpose that we're talking about here, I want you to forget the index method and the ATO says you can use whatever method gets you the best result. In my personal investing life, I've never used the index method. I've always used the discount method. And I think, John, most people in the wild would just use the discount method. So we'll assume for this conversation the discount method. Now, the discount method is effectively if you've held an asset for over 12 months and there is a gain on that asset, you discount the gain by 50% in terms of tax. So, John, do you want to go through that example there, a real life example, and talk about, uh, and we'll, you, we'll use a property for the example, just because it's a big round number. You know, most people live in a property and they get that and there is stamp duty and legal fees that will be with a property purchase that aren't with shares, but we can swing back around. So just talk to us about the example and yeah, I'll, I'll go over to you, John. Okay. So we've got a $500,000 property purchase. Uh, we've included $20,000 of stamp duty and legal fees. So it's obviously not in Victoria. <laughs> uh, wink, wink. Why is, why is Because Victoria has got the highest stamp duty in the world. Sale price of $700,000 after four years. Selling agent and legal fees, $20,000 also, just to, to round the numbers and keep it simple. Cost base is $540,000. So we've got the $20,000 from stamp duty and legals when we bought and then the $20,000 when we sold. Added together with the purchase price gives us our five forty. dollars Talk about why uh, the cost base is important for working out capital gains tax. Uh, yeah, well, it's important because there are, we know that when – we purchase and when we sell something, we've got acquisition, we've got costs associated to it. So the ATO say, well, you can add those costs back to the, the cost of the asset, keep a record of them, tell your accountant, and we'll, we'll be charging you capital gains tax on the remainder or the profit after we've factored in all those associated costs. So for example, the stamp duty and the fees associated with buying the investment property you know, if it was $20,000 in fees, you can't just claim the stamp duty on your tax return that year. But they say later on down the track, when it comes to capital gains tax, we'll offset the gain based on the costs. Yeah, that's right. So if we want to divvy it up or split it up, we're saying we can claim some running costs in the year that you accrue those costs, i.e. the interest on the, the loan of the property and the property management fees and all those things. But the, the high, high ticket items like your stamp duty, your one-off costs, we'll, we'll add them to the, the cost base when we sell it. Yeah. So the difference between the cost base versus the sale price 
is the capital gain. That's right. So the gain in this example where we buy for 500 and sell for 700 is not actually 200. It's 160 because you've included those uh, costs of doing business. So 160,000 times 50% uh, equals 80K is the taxed amount at your tax rate for that particular year, financial year in which you sold it. So why we've got 50% is current tax rules state that if you held that asset for longer than 12 months, you get a 50% exemption and that 50% essentially is in your pocket and you pay tax on the other 50% of the profit. So it's just, and we we touched on this in the Investing for Kids episode a couple of weeks ago, everyone, but it's really good to understand cost base and beneficial change of ownership when we are talking in the money world. In fact, John, you need to have a listen to those two Investing for Kids episodes. I will take a listen. Yeah, well, what, you, you're presuming that I don't listen to My Millennial Money. Oh, I'm, I'm not presuming, I know. <laughs> um, so, but, and that's why I just want to camp on it. So we'll just repeat again, $500,000 purchase price. After four years, it was sold for $700,000. So the, the gain is $200,000, but the taxable gain is $160,000 because of the agent fees on the way out and the stamp duty on the way in have been added to the cost base. So because the gain is $200,000, the taxable gain is only $160,000. So if you sold this property after 12 months, you can halve that taxable gain. So if, if you got that 200 grand in the first year, the taxable gain is still 160,000 because the cost base still occurs with the added stamp duty and agent fees, but you're just paying the $160,000 as a gain at your marginal tax rates. But because this property was sold after four years, half of the, or 50% of the taxable gain is 160,000 divided by two is the 80,000. And that $80,000 is just lobbed straight on top of your taxable income. So if you earned a hundred grand a year, your tax rate is 32.5 plus the Medicare levy of 2%. So you're paying tax, 34.5% tax on $80,000, which is half of the taxable gain the total CGT that you would pay on this property on 100 grand income is $27,600. Which, which gives you a net amount of just shy of 133,000, right? Yeah, net gain. Yep. Net gain. So, it, and, and as we said at the top of the show, like you, you buy a property, you sell it for X and you take, and, and you, you say in four years you can, you can put an extra $133,000 in your pocket You'd probably take that. Yes. But then that goes through to the broader strategy. What do we do with good quality assets, be it shares or property? But just speaking on the shares, I want to swing back around. The same scenario that we've worked there can be done with a parcel of shares and particularly individual shares, for example, or ETFs. So, and this is why it's really cool that we are talking about this because it just helps to understand how the world works. So if I bought $10,000 of CBA shares, Johnson, paid $20 on the way in, that $20 of brokerage is added to the cost base. If I sold them in four years' time for $30,000, we will assume there's no brokerage on the way out. 
the cost base for capital gains tax, we add the $20 brokerage. So the cost base would be $10,020. Take away the $30,000, the gain is what, $19,980. Yeah, so not a lot to add back, but that's a good thing. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, we divide that by two because we have held that CBA share parcel for over 12 months. And this is why it gets really wild. What if, my friends, you are adding shares every month, Mm. your dollar cost averaging, you're buying more. In four years' time when you go to sell, the cost base for each share is effectively different because the purchase time is different. And that's why I personally use a platform to keep records. So at the end of the year, and we'll talk about tax statements and all that shortly, but it's just a nightmare. Mm. Now, one step further. So John, you know how you've got the Vanguard high growth, diversified high growth ETF? Yes. There's an ETF, Vanguard diversified high growth. The units that I buy in that have a cost base and because throughout the year, those assets are rebalanced internally, when you get a tax statement, there will be components that flow through to you that are CGT, capital gains tax. And this is why it's like, you've just got to understand that CGT, it's always there and it's all got to do with the cost base. And there could be a, an internal cost base for the ETF units, but also you've got a cost base for the units that you own. So having said all of that, it can be complex and that's why you've got to keep your records really up to date. And if you've got an individual broker and you're buying and selling, you've got to have a company like ShareSite plugged in that can help track your own spreadsheet or do what I do and just use a, a platform that gives me a consolidated tax report, does all the tax reporting. It will automatically tell me the um, you know, first in, you know, first out, last in, first out, or whatever tax style that you want to use. And that basically is the the first in, basically means the first parcel of shares that get bought. When they sell them, the tax report will say, we'll sell them first because they're likely to have a capital gains tax discount. So I think I said it wrong before, that it was like first in, first out type deal. So that's why I use a platform, tax reporting, simple, easy, all that stuff. Now, John, one question I forgot to ask you, with buying property, I mentioned that the selling agent fees, if you sold an investment property and the agent costs 20 grand or 15 grand or whatever, that gets straight on the cost base and the stamp duty at the start goes on the cost base. What if I used a buyer's advocate? Yeah, look, generally speaking, same thing. They've assisted in that acquisition of that purchase, just like a real estate agents uh, assisted in the selling of that property. So we're adding that to the cost base. So that's a good thing. If you're thinking about using a buyer's agent, yes, you might not be able to claim it in that year that you uh, purchased that property, but kick the can down the road and you can claim it back when you sell it. Yeah. And that's it. Like I'm not a tax professional. I know enough to be dangerous. I just try and understand the key broad concepts. And then I lean on my own tax professional's you know, if I've got to sell chunky assets and and all that. So, but what we're going to do now, we're going to talk about the 10 ways, well, and I've written down 10 that I can think of and John might think of more along the way of how we can decrease 
capital gains tax. Then we might have a discussion about capital gains tax in general (laughs) because it's a juicy one. But I've kind of split this list up, John. Things that you can do to decrease like before the fact and after the fact. And every time that we crap on about investing, whether it's shares, property, while we don't do things just for the tax outcome, it's prudent to actually have some forward thinking about, well, what's our exit and how will that affect either the tax treatment of the asset, the estate planning of the asset. So one of the um, before the fact things that I, that I said there was like, number one, if you've got that asset, turn back time and put the asset in the lower income spouse's name or joint names. Investment property, John, if it was in joint names, 50-50, the, the thing we talked about above, you know, the taxable gain is 160000 divided by two, which is our 50% discount. In theory, that $80,000, which is taxable, $40,000 would fall on the primary income owner's tax return and the other $40,000 would fall on the lower income spouse's tax return. Therefore, you may pay less tax. So I think the the key thing to understand there is like having a great accountant in your corner before you buy the asset is really critical, isn't it? And, and just understanding what the long-term game plan is and what flexibility you've got around holding that asset throughout the journey. Like, And the simple example we use in, in, from a property perspective is, okay, if we made, if we've, if we've got the ownership in the highest tax bracket for that individual, say 45 cents at the minute, uh, they can claim all the deductions at the maximum tax rate for the lifespan of that property. However, when they go to sell it, they also get whacked 45% on that 50% of the, of the profit. So yeah, have we got some flexibility in the year that you sell it? Do you are you not on that forty five cents bracket anymore? Can you take a, a year off and I don't know have a baby or something like it's yeah and and we'll we'll get to that but um, what I will say as well so if there was a if half of that property so half of that gain forty thousand dollars went on the lower income earner's tax return it's not because it is taxed at marginal tax rate it's not because their tax rate is zero because they don't earn any money that 40 grand starts at zero. So that $40,000 would start at zero, which means the first 18,200 of that parcel is not taxed. So I repeat, it's not because the tax rate is zero, we don't pay any tax on that game because the taxable game just gets lobbed onto the um, tax return it just starts at zero. Or if you're in a a lower tax rate, for example, in the 32 and a half cent category for one spouse and the other spouse is on the 45 or 37, that is a way. But that all goes back to once you own the property, if you did decide to say, all right, well, we want to put half of it in the spouse's name, that's a beneficial change of ownership. So you're theoretically selling half of that property at the time. So you can't unscramble the egg once it's made, the pudding or whatever you are making. <laughs> yes, you can't extract the yolk. So, John, before the fact, there's, there's not many options to do before the fact because the whole overarching thing is forward planning, right, and how are we going to buy that. But I'd like your comments after we uh, get these two ones. But what's the next one there? So the next one is purchase in super. 
Yeah. So we won't get into the weeds of that, but in superannuation, the CGT rate is 33% flat rate. So, you know, and that is another reason why super is most tax effective. You know, you're paying 15% of money going in, you're getting taxed 15% on earnings and capital gains are just taxed at 33%. So yeah, that's, yeah. um, that could be an option for, you know, if you want to buy, you know, what random scenario, John, like you set up a self-managed super fund, you buy shares in a specy that you work at and you know that it's going to be worth a mint and they don't pay dividends and then you're, you're 55 and, you know, you're about to sell them before you retire. Like it could be a legitimate way to, to pay less tax, but it's probably not something to hero in this one. The next one, do you know much about, you know, affordable housing? I read somewhere that you can get an extra 10% discount if the property is used for affordable housing. Mm. However, and this is, this is that trade-off that you were talking about before with, you know, claiming the expenses at the higher tax rate, but when you sell it, it's a higher CGT rate. Yeah. You've got to like have lower than market rent, et cetera. Yeah. So yeah. that's just the thing. It's a little extra, you know, 10% discount. So 60% discount if you do have the property for affordable housing. I don't know the framework that, you know, do you have to turn it into a, a property and it's got to be at least 12 months or does it have to be affordable housing from day one? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, and I don't know how they actually keep track of that, whether that's through your accountant or property manager. Yeah, I don't know enough about that. But yeah, I was going to say, it really comes back to the overall strategy of what we're, what we're doing it for in the first place. Why are we buying property mm. in that example? So we already own the asset and the next kind of six ways, they are legitimate ways that you can manage your tax liability. And yeah, loud and clear, pay your taxes, don't rob the government because it's, it's your local government and hospital that's, you know, getting screwed ultimately. But um, there was a question in the Facebook group that someone said, oh, if I sell a property or something throughout the year, can I offset the capital gain with making a contribution to super? So you can, but I just want to, you know, work this through. So so if we go back to our original example and we've got a taxable gain at 160,000, we're using the discount method. So $80,000 is taxed at the marginal tax rate. If you had room to contribute that to superannuation, you could effectively get the taxable gain down to 60,000, not 80,000. But you've got to remember that money going into the super fund will still pay 15% contributions tax, which will be less than your 32 and a half or 37 or 47 or 100, whatever your tax rate is outside of super. But it is a legitimate way that you can use the current rules of the land. And if you're on, if you're on the a big income and you've, you've maxed out your concessional contributions, you can use catch up SG contributions as well. So that, that one's there as well. John, the next one, I'll get you to speak about this when we have a capital loss, you can effectively take that loss to the grave. Mm. They call it carry it forward, don't they? I don't actually know, but sure. Well, <laughs> so they say in accountant talk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so basically saying if if you've made 
a gain of let's say a hundred thousand. Um, but previously, you've also made a loss, unfortunately, because you sold something for less than what it was what you purchased it for. And let's say that loss was fifty thousand. Then you can carry that loss forward to apply against your gain. So then you're only taxed on the fifty k, which is the difference between the previous loss and the current gain. Yeah, and another way. My sixth point is, you know, if you're going to sell something anyway, if it's running at a loss, that's kind of how you can decrease the CGT. Like, and this is very circumstantial, but it could be like, oh, I've got a dog of a share. Or I've got a dog of a property. Oh, look, I do want to get it out of my life one day. It might come back in five years. Do you make the call, sell it at a loss or at a lesser loss, pay a bit of tax and deploy that capital into another investment. But we're not just, you know, if it's on the radar to sell anyway, it's just a matter of, okay, are we doing it now or are we doing it later? Another one, and you probably um, talk to people about this at the time, like wait until you retire and then dispose of the asset. Because again, the tax rate starts at zero so if the gain is that $50,000, you'll be taxed as if you earned $50,000. Mm. So the first 18200 is tax-free. Yeah, and the only thing to take into account there, which again is a good problem, is what other income do you have in retirement that you're also taxed on? So yeah, yeah that's yeah. Uh, and that's a great thing about forward planning and, and looking 10, 20 years in advance, isn't it? Mm. What do we got next? Number eight. Sell during a low income year. So I sort of briefly touched on it before, but you may have an asset in uh, your name, Glenn, and you might be paying the highest tax rate, 45 cents. You might decide, yeah, I want to sell this asset next year. And you can then reduce your taxable income for that financial year because you're taking a, a, a six-week holiday, uh, sorry, six-month holiday and therefore your, your total taxable income for that financial year is lower. Therefore, you might be down a tax bracket. And I'll get a whopping tax return because for that first six months of the year, they've withheld the maximum amount of tax. Yes. And then when I do the wash-up at the end of the year, oh, you've only worked six months of the year. Mm. Well, you've paid way too much tax. Cha-ching. Yeah. And, and that's all good in theory, isn't it? But were you, were you going to reduce your workload for that year or are you just doing it to avoid your CGT? And that's why I'm just like, I'm not doing those type of things unless there's a compelling reason. And speaking of compelling reasons, you know, when my sister and her husband at the time were renovating their house, because <laughs> he was like half handy and labourer and a contractor at the time, it was actually cheaper for him to take six months off work yeah. and work on the house, <laughs> like actually cheaper. Yeah. Um, so anyway. The next one, John, number nine, I'll get you to talk to this one again. Yeah, so main residence exemption, move into the property, uh, six-year rule, uh, so we can't have any other main residence during that time. So a six-year rule basically means, well, go back a step from the six-year rule, you can claim a residence as your principal place of residence for capital gains tax purposes. You can't have more than one of those residents for, for CGT purposes, but if you choose that property, that is CGT free. Now, you can move out of that property and, and rent it out or keep it vacant, whatever you want to do, but you to, to apply the full capital gains tax exemption, you, you need to move back in within the six-year period. So that, that's mm. the only requirement there. 
Yeah, so that is a, a legitimate strategy mm. to use. And again, are you gonna if you've got an investment property on the other side of the country, you're gonna up do you uproot your life and move over there to save thirty grand? Like yeah, and, probably no, but and uh, I was I was joking with someone the other day who had a, a reasonable portfolio and, and they were sort of nearing the end of their working life and said, well, okay, I've got these multiple properties around the country. Uh, maybe I'll just go and live in each of them for 12 months and uh, and claim it. But yeah. As yeah, said, no thanks. No. And then, you know, the 10th and the best way to decrease CGT is to just make sure you hold the asset for over 12 months. Simple as that. But on that as well, I've talked in the past about if I've gone in on a specy, did a smash and grab, so the threw money in a specy, it went to the moon. I didn't. I was like, I'm getting out while the getting's good. Don't care about the tax because if I wait a year, it might be worth half of what it is now, yeah. and I just need to get the getting while the getting's good. So yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. In a perfect world, we want to hold an asset, but this. And you talk to like legitimate share traders and we've had one on the show before who, you know, generated a million dollars a year from literal trading like the unicorns out there. They don't give a crap about CGT because it's all just income. That's right. And and same with mini developments and or, or quick renos and flips. Like you're not waiting. If the market's hot and you can see that it's only short-lived, you, you're not waiting for the 12 months to get in and get out, are you? Yeah. Yeah. You got to get the getting while the getting's good. I like that saying. Yeah, it's good English. Um, yeah, good England. Spot on. So there we go. They're kind of the top 10 ways. I'll just recap Then we might have a quick break. Turn back time, put the asset in the lower income spouse's name or joint names and that speaks to your pre-planning. Uh, can you purchase the asset in super? Can you look at affordable housing if you're a property capitalist pig and you've got heaps of properties? Uh, the fourth one, looking at you, Pidge, the taxable super contributions. But remember, when you put the money in, the super fund will take 15%. And if it's a personal non-concessional NCC contribution, Google it. We don't have time to camp on that. It's not tax. Uh, you can't offset the taxable gain because it's post-tax and it stays post-tax. Number five, use existing losses. Sell something you're going to sell anyway. If it's running out of loss and you know Mercury and Venus and retrograde and all those words come into play, Seven, wait until you retire and then dispose. Eight, sell during a low income year. Nine, maybe the main residence exemption slash the six year rule and come into play. And 10, make sure you hold the asset for over 12 months. And remember the golden rule with investing and life, keep your records up to date because it will come back and it will spank you sideways if you do not keep your records up to date. One of the certainties in life is taxes, aren't they? But uh, mm -hmm. as uh, as the late Kerry Packer said in 1991, if anyone in this country doesn't want to minimise their tax, they want their heads red. Oh, well, there you go. 1991, gosh, you would have been, what, 29? <laughs> so people are probably Googling <laughs> Kerry as though, who's this bloke? Yeah. Anyway. Before we do go to the break, uh, Courtney asked a question in the Facebook group that I thought it just worth briefly touching on. Your annual statement is now available. This is separate to your tax statement and, as such, should not be used for tax purposes. So she got that in an email and she said, does the tax labels within an annual statement not simply, not imply that it's used for tax purposes? What is this suggesting should be used for tax purposes? So when it comes to investing, 
particularly more in ETFs, shares that are on a platform like Shares is our show sponsor, they'll send an annual statement. Now, that annual statement, it could just be an annual report, which would imply, hey, from the 1st of July, 2022 to the 30th of June, 2023, here's your annual statement. The investment moved by 8%. You put X amount in. Here's the growth. Here's some fees. Here's the movement of the account, the return, general housekeeping over the last 12 months. Now, the tax statement that you need generally be a one-pager and it will just go down and list all the different income components and usually they'll have the the code like a T, put this in TJ. So it might have unrealized capital gains or something like that. It might have realized capital gains. It might have foreign tax credits. So it will just tell you for that financial year, it will have the actual amounts that you need to put in your tax return. And that swings back to, and have a look at it for yourself, everyone, because you'll see that there'll be flow through CGT monies that come through. Now, I will say as well, a share platform may be able to produce an annual statement on the 2nd of July because they're just, they've got the data of money in, money out. But they may not be able to give you your tax statement until after the underlying investments that you have, say the vanguards of the world and all that, do their reconciliations after the quarter so they know the tax components for the previous quarter and the financial year. So, are you confused yet, John? Awesome. Yeah. Let's take a break and we'll be back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back. You are listening to the best podcast that you've listened to today, My Millennial Money. Actually, you might have listened to something better earlier, but whatever. Hey, this is the community segment of the week where we ask you weird, fun questions in the Facebook group. We can't do this segment without Sky Wealth. We're big proponents of if you've got a friggin' family and you've got debt and dependents, don't die without having death cover. We're a proponent of that. And we're a proponent of if you've got an income, you need to protect it. So reach out to Sky Wealth sky.com.au forward slash MMM. 
please get your life insurance and your income insurance in order today. We asked everyone, what's the weirdest or most unusual habit or routine that you have that contributes to your lifestyle? <laughs> Do you want to read these first couple? I actually haven't had a look at these yet. Evelyn, I have bipolar disorder and during periods of mania, I get very strong urges to accumulate and prepare large amounts of food. I'm talking about cooking three to four months worth of meals in a single day. I had one episode where I cooked so much I had to buy a chest freezer to store it all in. Anyways, now I have a freezer. It's handy to always have it full because I cycle through an episode of Mania every few months. Very handy to be able to grab something out of the freezer for dinner when I don't feel like cooking or taking for work lunches. And I always cook a huge variety of meals, so there's always plenty to choose from. Evelyn, I want to come to your house. Yeah, Evelyn, give us a heads up next time you have <laughs> You're a, up. a mania. Well, we'll just run an event the next week yeah. and have it catered. But that kind of, yeah, it, it does speak to that, you know, no one's got all their shat together. Mm. How do you optimise your weirdness? Yeah, she's turned it into a massive positive, I think. Yeah, totally. Sophie, I've been religiously tracking my time and then exporting it to a spreadsheet for other fun analysis for about a year and it's weirdly changed my life. I don't even have to think about it. It's helped me reduce my screen time because I can see how much time I waste just doom scrolling. Plus, it motivates to pick up other hobbies just so there's something different in my day. Plus, it's helped me get into the habit of cleaning more regularly and other things because I know that, e.g., doing the dishes is only going to take 10 minutes, so why not just quickly do them after dinner so future me doesn't have to deal with them later rather than spending another 10 minutes room scrolling. So, yeah, that's um, that's pretty effective, Sophie. Daniel said, my first coffee of the day is decaf, assisted in reducing my overall caffeine intake of a morning. i got bad news, Daniel. There is still caffeine in decaf. Uh, Google it. Sam, my work commute is running and that's kind of the only real exercise I do apart from being at my standing desk, lol. Plus, it's the only time I listen to the podcast. So if I want to listen to it regularly, I exercise and go in the office to achieve that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it is good because I was listening the other day, Glenn, to someone and they, it was actually another podcast and they were talking about the retention of information and if you're doing something like running, the retention is greater. Mm, well, that's why I'm a sieve. <laughs> <laughs> basically uh katie says i don't use much lighting because i'm blind the vision i have is very light sensitive so i usually have most turned off in the house so that saves on electricity i guess yeah absolutely it would electricity is just out of control i was about to say john i'm going to tell you something that you wouldn't know because you've got no idea how us commoners live oh whatever mate but like honestly because like I got a letter that, and it's the, honestly the first time I've actually ever noticed it. My maximum monthly energy bill here during winter, it's been like $180 yeah. because it's got the full ducted air and it's annoying because they've got like timber floors out the back there. And Chris Gleason was saying the other day, they got their timber floors insulated underneath. Oh, yeah. Just because all the cold air was coming up. Like, yes. so anyway. I've got a pump air conditioner, like whatever, yeah. like everyone does, right? Yeah. Anyway, got the bill the other day for like the first July because I just pay it monthly for cash flow. And I used to get surprised at 184. It was like $280. For the month? Yeah. Wow. Like it's gone up $100, which is, you know, it is around that 50% as they've all been talking about. Yeah. So that's... Nearly three and a half grand a year. 
Yeah. It would be a quarter, 8.52, yeah, which is about what ours is. Yeah. But So I just, it is wild out there. It is, yeah. So let's move on to some housekeeping right now. All right, housekeeping. We're just still letting everyone know the Glenn James spending plan is now free. There's absolutely no cost or no excuse not to have a spending plan and budget in your life. If you can't save money, if you're struggling to pay your bills, if you're living week on week and you don't have a structure, start here. The Glenn James spending plan, it will free you up and you'll be get and you'll get happening like never before. Tuesday, the 17th of September, and there'll be a link in the show notes. We're actually doing a webinar with Rachel Kroon, who was on the show last week, and Joe Carroll from Sphere Home Loans. We know there are a lot of listeners who have uh, investment properties and mortgages, and they're just going to talk the whole webinar about investment lending. If you are interested in buying a home, you know, rent vesting or, and there's been a few questions lately in the Facebook group about how to use the equity in your home if you wanted to invest in property, loan size, borrowing capacity, if you're downsizing, all that stuff. So that will be a link in the show note, Tuesday, the 12th of September at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And also this episode is going live on the 22nd of August in, on the on Monday, and this is right really last minute, on Monday the 4th, Monday night at 7 p.m., I'm doing a last minute webinar. I'm just putting, I'm literally typing into my calendar right now, money in your 20s. If you're in your 20s and you want to get a bit more involved in your money, I'm just doing a webinar. I'm putting it together last minute. It's not even on this schedule, is it, John? Because Hi. I... I told the team, I'm like, I'm going rogue. I want to do a webinar with people in their 20s. So we'll put a link in the show notes for that as well. Um, yeah, money in your 20s with me. Uh, we'll spend an hour or so. I'll go through a little prezzo and just open up the floor for questions. I'm really excited to do that because as you know, John, I'm bored with life and I am I just want to get back into doing stuff that I love and weirdly teaching people about money. Uh, I like doing. So I thought, sorry, team, I need to do this for my own sanity. So yeah, so we are doing that. All right. We are pressed for time. Let's let's finish with Jake's question slash comments today. And we might leave it there because it has been a long episode. Does anyone have any tips for me? 23, been saving since 17, so six years. I've just hit 100K, but I'm unemployed so I don't have a regular stream of income apart from Centrelink. Currently, half of my money is in an ETF and the other half is sitting in a savings account with 4.5% interest accumulating. I want to have a party to celebrate finally hitting my goal number. But after that, what should I do with it? Next year, I'll be working with my internship program, which will bring me in about 45K, which I'll also contribute as much as possible to my current savings. So, Jake, well done. Uh, 2300k yeah, Jake's 23 I think he's going to host the webinar for money in your 20s um, yeah that's right well he's he's going to have plenty of time to plan the party yeah so it was interesting his post got a little bit of heat yeah just I don't know 
Interesting, but I kind of worked out on average he's pretty much saved three hundred dollars a week. Yeah, so his wow. savings rate has been so high since yep. he's been seventeen. A couple of things that he noted because um, everyone's like, "Oh, how do you save money and how do you get Centrelink and blah blah blah." So I've just made a note from some of the comments that he made. Uh, his partner moved in, so he can optimize. He's always been a saver. He's now doing his masters at uni. Yeah, but the whole thing is you can get Centrelink and Youth Allowance if you're a single person, non-homeowner, and you can have assets up to 543000 Wow, um, that's high, isn't it? Yeah, but I don't know. This is the whole dance with this. Like, should someone who has saved heaps of money live off those savings while it... Well, no, I don't... <laughs> or is there a, a safety net there with, you know, youth allowance... I mean, it's there for a reason. Like at some point, I don't know. Well, I think Jake would go in with uh, the thought if I can break even through this um, through this journey of mm. my university, then I've, I've had a win and I haven't had to use my savings. Yeah, I mean, this, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I think that, and we can't solve the question today, but I, I think one of the questions that people was pretty much saying like, you know, if you've got $100,000 in cash, should you be eligible to receive Centrelink? Yeah. Youth allowance. For, for reasons, good or bad, the current rules are Jake can have $543,750 sitting in his bank account or as an investment and still receive youth allowance. Mm. So I don't know. But what I would say... To Jake's question, you know, what should I do with it? So he's got half in cash, 4.5%, half in ETFs. I'm probably, you know, if he's doing his master's, he might, what, have another year at uni? 18, 92. Yeah, he might have another year. I'm probably just keeping cash heavy while at uni. So I'm going to carve out an emergency fund. It could be 15 grand. I'm going to carve out an amount and we don't know situations, but to buy a car if needed, if he doesn't have one or an upgrade car at some point, could be 15 grand, so that's 30 grand. And then maybe we want to save for a house one day. We just keep investing. I don't know. I just think while you're building your educational journey and your career, it's awesome that you're investing, but yeah, just keep a little bit cash heavy. Yeah. Yeah, look, and he's got 45 coming in from his internship. Mm. So it's not as if he's stop, stopping work for the next five years. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. He shouldn't be eating into those savings, I wouldn't have thought. So yeah, yeah. yeah put them to good yeah. use, Jake. Well done. Totally, yeah. But, and, um, but don't spend it all on that party you're going to have either. No, and but he did say that he's basically been a stingy and a tight ass. Yeah. Um, I would generally say like – maybe take the foot off the gas and live life because so many people that we've interviewed who have amassed, like I interviewed that dude a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, he saved a million dollars over the last 15 years or whatever. And he's like, yeah, I kind of didn't live my life. Yeah. Like it's just got to be blend. There's got to be balance. Yeah, he's not getting that time back. Mm, yeah. And what? And, and knowing this because I'm in my 40s, Glenn, what you could do in your 20s, Sometimes you can't do in your fifties or your forties because of mm. 
health and physical, mental, whatever. Or even, Jake, finish your master's, save 20 grand and piss off and have a six months off work. Yeah. In Southeast Asia, live. Sabbatical. But also do what you want. But you're killing it. And um, yeah. yeah, so he says he's unemployed. Um, there was another comment in the Facebook group that plenty of people have still worked even part-time while doing uni. Yeah. So don't, and that's that dance. Like it's almost that I'm not going to work because I don't want to not get my $20 a week youth allowance or whatever it is. Like it's not a lot. I think it's 300 and I'll just quickly Google it, everyone. But I'm not privy to what was in the Facebook group, but he's bringing in 45 grand a year next year while he's at uni. Mm. So is is that yeah, I'm just surely that doesn't meet the asset test? Single with no children, youth allowance, 720 a fortnight. Yeah, so it's about 350 a week. And that's it. Like to maintain your $3, $350 a week, like don't go, oh, I'm not going to work and rot away. Like No. And it's healthy to work. And that's more for everyone. Yeah, it's healthy and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to shout out that, um, yeah, you're killing it, Jake. Welcome to the group. Yeah. Yeah. Does anyone have any tips for me? My tips, probably keep half of that cash heavy till you've well and established into your career. Be less tight and cheap. Enjoy a little bit. But this is coming from a spender. And, <laughs> yeah, focus on building your career. Keep out of consumer debt. Keep that emergency fund. I don't think he has any issues with that side of it, but yeah. no, no, that's right. But no, nah, well done, twenty-three, mature. Yeah, far Six out. Years of disciplined, uh, and that just sets you up so much, doesn't it? Like you can leverage Absolutely, that yeah. into some awesome assets. Uh, totally. And, and discipline's the key. Just consistency and discipline. Hundred percent. All right, I've got to bounce. Thanks, John. Thanks, everyone, for indulging us with a little bit more of that uh, CGT at the top of the episode. Uh, we don't generally like to go much more than an hour, so uh, we'll leave it there today. Thanks for listening. My name's Glenn James, and you are... John Pigeon. Bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.